0: Welcome to Spotlight On, a new series produced by Excel, where we examine the technology shaping our world through conversations with the people building it.
1: Welcome back to Spotlight On. So excited to be here with you two. You know, 2023 was a great inaugural season for this podcast. We reflected on the advent of AI. So many great founders that were applying AI in all these different parts of the ecosystem. We really got a chance to live the space through the eyes of the founders that we work with, and I think it was an illuminating season. And now with the benefit of the holidays, we get a chance to reflect a bit and try to synthesize what we learned um, and reflect on some of the predictions that came out from last season. So, I don't know, Sarah Casey, what, what comes to mind when you reflect back on some of the voices that we had on, on the show last year?
0: Yeah. In some ways it's a little ironic cuz our show is called Spotlight On, but I think one of the things that came out from the conversation was that a lot of new innovation happens maybe in pockets where people aren't looking. Mm-hmm. When you think about a lot of the founders that we talked to this season, it's not that they got working on this project, you know, in the last 12 months. It's that they started in 2017 or 2018. That this has been you know, sort of a, a a long love and passion and exploration of the cutting edge of the technology. It's just now come to the forefront. But uh, I think an observation was just, you know, great innovation is happening in little pockets where people aren't looking. Things that are outside of sort of the flow of conversation, they'll become apparent five, seven, 10 years from now and be really life-changing for all of us as consumers, as, you know, operators within, uh, you know, enterprises and Uh, But that was that was a real takeaway for me when you hear about those early origin stories where they were they were the crazies, you know, to harken back to sort of the classical sense of Silicon Valley.
2: Yeah. You know, obviously, it's been a crazy year with investment into this space, a lot of new companies being formed. Obviously, we've seen a lot of that here at Excel. You know, do you think this is a overhyped cycle or do you think it'll continue to pace at this rate?
1: It honestly might be underhyped. I know given all of the euphoria and how often it's being mentioned in the tech press and on Twitter, I mean, this is top of mind for everyone, but it may have that profound of an impact on global markets, on economies, on companies, on the labor workforce, on productivity around the world. I mean, the, the, just the pace of innovation and the slope with which we're seeing these models develop and how they're being applied in all these different domains it feels like we're just scratching the surface of what's possible with this technology. And I think part of that is the technology is getting better and better and better, but at the same time, there's just a natural absorption rate on behalf of the companies that are using this technology. And, you know, 2023 was really about figuring one another out. You know, the technology was figuring itself, itself out. The companies themselves were figuring out how to use and apply the technology. And I think now with the benefit of those last 12 months of experimentation, we're really in a position to go full force into it in 2024 and beyond. And so I think we're just about to see sort of the the multiplicative benefit of what AI can mean.
0: I would agree with that. I think it was interesting. Some of our founders uh, during the season sort of commented on it maybe maybe be at sort of a peak hype moment and I think we've almost kind of come on the other side of that, where there was that period where people just, you know, there was sort of the sense that you could say AI and like jazz hands and like, and, and people were like, whoo, you know. Um, and I think what came out through this season was really, you know, these are really earnest folks who still deeply understand a problem space and a business opportunity and they're leveraging the latest and greatest in AI technology. And so I think from their perspective, probably that little window of time felt a little weird while they were operating in it. They're like, wait, we're like slogging away with this technology that's still so early and it's you know, uh, you know, know, creation that it's still hard to work with, doesn't do all the things you want it to do or to do it is still super hard. And so I can see how for them, it probably actually could feel particularly hypey. Mm-hmm. But I think to your point, um, you know, the enthusiasm is warranted, um, is my sense. And I think we've already kind of gotten out of the AI jazz hands moment and are seeing, you know, a real, uh, you know, that sort of amazing convergence of somebody with an insight on a problem space, a business opportunity, and how to leverage this new technology to solve it.
1: I loved Alex Wang's episode He's obviously the founder of Scale AI. He was here with Dan Levine and just reflecting on all the different corners of the global economy that AI is just now starting to touch. And I think he you know, really reinforced that sentiment of, we're going to see AI and AI-enabled companies start to crop up in categories that we hadn't necessarily studied or thought of historically here at Excel. And that's probably going to be the most exciting part of this ecosystem over the next 12 to 18 months is just seeing all the different sub-segments of of markets where we're going to see AI being applied.
0: I was surprised that actually, you know, here's a category of folks who are complete optimists about the technology. And even within them, they were surprised about the sort of slow and then fast nature. So I was, you know, in the Victor episode, right? He was saying what he thought would be possible by 2023 and 2028. And he was saying, you know, actually, I think those were you know, overly conservative. We hit that in 2020, and it'll probably be 2025. And I think Dylan had sort of a similar sentiment in the Assembly AI episode, where you know he he kind of knew it would be possible, and then saw it coming faster than maybe even somebody a believer thought. And so uh, that's an exciting thing, I think, for all of us that even as you know, extreme optimists about technology, it can even uh, catch us by surprise just how fast we can have uh, progress and in innovation.
1: The open source models I think are really gonna inflict in their power in 2024. Mm-hmm. And we've always believed at Excel that open innovation, open technology is just a better technology. It's built and maintained by a global developer base. It's easier to adopt if you're a business. And it's arguably more secure because you just have more eyes on this technology. And so um, you know, 2024, I think is gonna be the year of open source innovation in, in AI.
2: You know, you look at the gated release that Facebook did with, their, with, with Llama. And, uh, you know, of course there's a huge response in the open source community when the weights were leaked and everyone was really obviously excited about that. But it just sort of, you know, it's, it felt like it really took off from there, both on the model, like on the model level, and then obviously on the tooling level, it's just really helped developers be able to prototype really quickly, be able to kind of prototype apps really quickly as well. So I think you know, starting at that base layer, uh, it's been really incredible to see even the innovation that's come out there because there are some companies obviously that are proprietary in gating that, but the, the innovation curve in open source has been uh, really tremendous, more than I've seen in honestly any other ecosystem.
1: You know, it's interesting, you think back to even the advent of the light bulb, you know, th- there's the, the old cliche, what came first, the, the light bulb or the electrical grid? And it was actually the light bulb. We had to see the power of the application before we actually went back and built the infrastructure and in case that you're seeing this firsthand now that everyone understands the power of ai and the power of llms we're just now starting to be motivated to go back and rebuild the infrastructure to make developers more empowered to play with this technology and you've invested in a couple of companies in the space
2: yeah i you know i think the thing that gets me really excited when i see uh, this incredible excitement and energy around, you know, building foundational AI companies and then also AI applications is sort of the underlying infrastructure and tooling. And so one of the investments that I made in a company called Astral, which is building an open source project called Rough, is, you know, it's really supporting the Python open source ecosystem uh, and supporting that tooling layer. So, you know, of course, it's not it's not building a model, but it's uh, helping developers who are you know, building these things in Python, which is the language of AI, it's the language of data. And so, you know, I'm looking for opportunities there, but also in developer infrastructure around AI applications too.
1: I reflect back on two of the last major waves that we've invested in here in Excel, the mobile wave and the cloud wave. And those were really innovations in how technology was being delivered. You know, I remember back to the dawn of mobile, the iPhone had just come out in 2006, 2007, and a lot of those entrepreneurs back then were trying to repackage existing desktop applications into a new mini mini trust form and taking advantage of all these different new touch gestures and obviously the mobile device had a lot of new functionality in terms of geolocation services and uh telephony services and so we saw the advent of things like uber and instacart and, and services like that but I think, by and large, mobile was really a, a delta in how services were being delivered. You know, we were able to push services to the edge, into the pockets of consumers. I think cloud technology similarly was a big innovation in uh, in software delivery. And you know, we invest in a lot of these categories. It's, it was about taking applications that were historically uh, built, managed, and deployed in large ser- servers uh, on top of large servers. You know, locally at at at, in enterprises and the cloud changed the delivery mechanism behind that allowed you to a- access this this application wherever you were around the world and i think about ai relative to those two waves and it's the first time i've really felt like this is a change in truly what's possible from an innovation standpoint i mean we're, we're really changing application paradigms altogether it's not just a delivery mechanism it's a true innovation uh it's a true innovation change and that's the thing that just gets me so optimistic mm-hmm. about it
2: Yeah. I also think, you know, the advent of LLMs and transformer technology, you know, really came about in 2017, 2018, coming out of Google. And the interface for the product has been so, so important. So you think back to when this really became part of a more popular consciousness, it's really only been in the last, I mean, it feels like 20 years, but it's really only been in the last year. So that interface, the way people interact with the product, a lot of it's API-based. I think that's been so important for the adoption and what we've seen in the industry this year. You know, something that's
0: been fun, I think, is, you know, Excel. We have offices around the world. We were just all in London uh, at the end of last year with our colleagues based in London, our colleagues based in India. And, uh, you know, the conversations and the excitement and enthusiasm around the innovation in AI was just so deeply shared because yeah. this isn't something that's happening in just one geo, right? It's something that's sort of explosive uh, globally. And I, I think that's a, a a unique thing to observe, to see the innovation happening in all these uh, pockets of the world. Um, maybe not pockets, just to, <laughs> happening everywhere. And now we're finding amazing founders in all those markets um, to back. So it really is something you know, folks have likened to sort of this modern-day space race of where every economy, every um, you know community of of researchers, of entrepreneurs sees the potential and wants to ensure that they're establishing themselves as sort of cutting edge. And I think that level of um, healthy competition gives me a sense that the uh, the technology is going to, in the pace of of discovery and advancement is only going to continue because it has really captured sort of the, the minds of everyone globally.
1: The power of what we're seeing right now with cloud enabled AI services is you can build these companies anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, 25, 30 years ago, you had to be in the valley to get access to the most cutting edge technology, to the most advanced uh, server components, GPU components—you had to be in Silicon Valley to get access to the talent, quite frankly. But now, all of those substrates, all of those primitives, have been packaged up and globally distributed via great open source technology, via really neatly packaged APIs, via cloud services that are being supported by AWS and GCP and and Microsoft Azure, and that's really the the forcing function that allows. AI innovation to be a global force. You know, you don't have to be in the Valley anymore to get access to those to those primitives. And that's what makes our job so fun, so exciting, so stimulating, you know, we're meeting these entrepreneurs around the globe. Um, it's keeping us busy. We're spending a lot of time on planes, as we know. Um, but I think increasingly, we're gonna see some of the best companies, you know, being formed outside of Silicon Valley. and um the valley will always i think be a, a a plurality of of the best businesses i mean there's just something about the network effect of of san francisco that will never be that will never be shaken but increasingly and we've seen this via you know obviously our european partnership and our india partnership um we're seeing some great companies being formed in in both those geographies and that's that's a trend that's only going to continue mm-hmm.
0: it's funny that the comment about sort of uh accessibility at the infrastructure and development layer Uh, made me think about maybe one of the surprises for me of the last year is the degree to which sort of the front end is so accessible. Mm. You know, the idea that, uh, you know, I'm a mom to two young kids, talk with other moms about their kids engaging with these generative AI apps to create like quirky photos or, you know, storybooks or coloring pages. And it's incredible to think that, you know, small children can now engage with generative AI, Mm. you know, and I think that you know, I, I don't know how to code like you do, but a world where I could just speak what I want to to see and have it created in the world feels so much closer than it ever has before. And I think that element of accessibility on the front end is yeah. is really exciting. and so, and we're so in the early innings of it kind of to your point about the the GUI, you know, mm-hmm. um we're so in the early innings of that, but I think it will take what some pockets of technology and innovation, I think, can feel um, maybe exclusive or Mm -hmm. you have to have this, you know, specialized skill set to be able to engage. And I get really excited about the idea of some of those walls breaking down through new applications at the, you know, at the the edge being created that are really accessible to folks.
1: The gap between idea and prototype Mm -hmm. or even an idea and a V1 is going to shrink considerably in the age of generative AI. I mean, to your point, you can speak applications into existence. You can take core business logic that you've mapped out for yourself and actually encode that in a piece of software now. And I think what that's going to mean for our business specifically is we're going to see so many more entrepreneurs. There are just so many more creators out there that, you know, we, we're going to be drinking from the fire hose mm-hmm. to a certain extent and, you know, parsing through that and separating the wheat from the chaff, uh, separating, you know, ideas from things that can be really long lasting independent companies, mm-hmm. I think is going to be both the challenge and the opportunity for, for our team in 2024 and beyond. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely, you can see something that should exist in the world and will exist. You can be a thousand percent certain it will exist, but will uh, should it be a standalone company? Uh, will it accrue sort of equity value? Um, two very different questions, yeah. right?
2: And <laughs> you know, thinking about this, you know, we a lot of people have talked about this as a hype cycle. Uh, I think the thing for me this year that's been so so surprising in a lot of ways is that the demand really is there. You know, we're seeing these uh, newly formed companies that are, you know, maybe maybe just hitting their first birthday. And the revenue numbers are really unlike anything I've ever seen before, even in previous uh, sort of previous eras, of the internet. So it, it really is a fascinating time from that perspective that the demand is there and people are spending real dollars even in in this economy.
0: What
1: are some of the things you guys are looking for in great companies in 2024?
0: It was really clear when you... Talk to or when you listen to all those episodes that these were folks who had a real passion around a pain point and a business opportunity and then sort of a unique insight about the right way to apply the technology and i think that that's something that you know all day every day i'm looking for is sort of that combination and i think that uh you know as a tech we have to assume the technology and the pace of innovation is going to continue at a breakneck speed and so I think that actually puts more emphasis on, is this the right vision and team that as new things emerge, um, do they have sort of that unique insight, that unique you know, um, market understanding, whatever the distinctiveness is, such that they are the right conduit to bring this emerging technology into that problem space. Because you just have to assume it's gonna come at them so fast. Uh, if they're wed to the particular implementation of it that's probably a dead end in its own right, right? They have to be the right, yeah, conduit to bring it to that, um, you know, problem space, opportunity space. And so I think increasing emphasis on, on that element, which is really, you know, sort of the, the perennial convergence we're looking for as investors,
2: but maybe ever more important um, given the pace. Companies now are getting such incredibly fast feedback. Which is, which is excellent. Sometimes, you know, this type of feedback on products that you get could take months and months, but now you can really shorten that feedback cycle. So I think that's an exciting new development. However, given the energy, the excitement around the space, things are changing really, really rapidly. So, you know, to, to what you said, Sarah, I, I just totally agree that it's all about the team's ability to... You know, move quickly and execute quickly, but also really metabolize that that feedback and and move in the right direction. So especially with the companies that I look at in open source and developer tooling, you know, I think the I think the interface and the developer experience is going to be really, really important more than anything else.
1: yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, echoing what you're both saying. There are two common threads, I think, to companies that are gonna endure in this era of technology. One is a real appreciation for the customer pain point. You know, We always talk about this even when we meet entrepreneurs. Are they speaking the language of the, the technology or are they speaking the language of the customer problem? And finding founders that are just deeply, deeply intimate with their customers and their needs, I think it's gonna be very critical in this era of very, very rapid change. And then the second piece is, just an overall adaptability. I mean, change is coming at us so much faster than ever before. The underlying language models are changing. Uh, The developer tooling is going to be is going to be reconfigured many times over over the next couple of years. As founders, you just you need to be adopting uh, racing ahead to the next uh, technology platforms, um, and just understanding how to really keep a team that's very resilient in this market mm-hmm. because you can't, I don't think you can rest on your laurels anymore. I mean, the, the concept of moats and core technology, di- core technology differentiation, those will persist, but I think they'll they'll persist in a very, very different mm-hmm. form um, because a lot of the, the differentiation is gonna be in how you package up and bring that technology to, to market and, and be a conduit for this innovation, as you said.
0: One of my biggest takeaways from operating that I share with founders frequently is uh, just how messy it is, even when it's really working, you know, to have been a part of hyper growth and go, wow, it, it was that much of a mess when it was when everything was going incredibly well. And so, I, you know, I think that's very applicable here to your point of like hitting amazing revenue levels faster than ever, or needing to be adaptable, you know, to, to the changes that, um, even when it's working or when the thing's really hitting and maybe even more so then, it's going to get really messy Mm. and they're going to have to fight the natural gravity of moving a little more slowly, maybe, you know, um, a discomfort or not wanting to evolve your tech stack because it's, you know, built in a particular way and maybe it needs to evolve. And so uh, that's a really hard thing to sort of encode in an organization, that resilience. And uh, it's something that the greatest companies are going to have to figure out because mm-hmm. when it's working, it's a mess.
1: <laughs> you know, what? one prediction I have for 2024 actually doesn't impact us so much on the early stage business, but it actually impacts our, our later stage investing practices, so our growth funds and our leaders' funds. You know, those are those are efforts that really try to invest in scaled, capital light, often bootstrapped and profitable businesses. And I wonder if we're gonna see many more companies getting to 10, 25, $50 million of ARR having never raised venture capital. You know, we hear this all, often from the CTOs that we work with. You know, their engineering teams are using Copilot and seeing meaningful productivity uplifts to the tune of 25 to 30%. And, you know, imagine an engineering team that historically had to hire 50 to 100 engineers now getting the same amount of output with just 25 to 30 engineers. And you take the application of AI and you look across all of the the different lines of operating expenses, marketing, sales, uh, accounting, finance. You can tuck a lot of that workflow behind software now. And so I wonder if we're gonna see a new era of nicely scaled, but very, very lean businesses that are cash flow generative and profitable, and you know have a chance to be long term independent, but may actually skip the era of traditional venture capital like we know it. But may be just great candidates for, you know, our growth and leaders practice. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's interesting what you said about companies using AI sort of within their internal stack and for productivity gains. And I think that um, we certainly aren't in a world where. Every company has to be an AI company in that their strategy is squarely either infrastructure for building an AI, or um, you know, the core of their transformation within an industry being an AI application. But I think every company does need to be applying AI sort of internally, even if that isn't sort of your you know your core reason for being. You're going to be at a disadvantage if you aren't using the most readily available applications of AI, whether it's for your sales team, your marketing collateral, your efficiency of your engineering team. So from that perspective, I do think every company needs to be an AI company. Um, But in terms of identity and sort of core value prop, no, I don't think every company needs to be an AI company. But you will be at a severe disadvantage if you aren't using it for efficiency and productivity
1: gains. Mm. I I thought it was a great first season of Spotlight On. I love learning about these markets through the eyes and ears of the core practitioners, our entrepreneurs. You know, that's what makes our job so fun is we get to experience change in our ecosystem through uh, the, the power of, you know, some of the best founders in the world. And, you know, I think, We've touched a little bit on trust and safety and governance in AI, and that really runs up into this, this notion of security in a digitized world, in an AI-native world. And I think that's gonna be a fascinating topic for all founders, entrepreneurs, customers to be really thinking about. And fortunately, that's the big topic for us in season two. And so we're so excited to unpack that theme, that category through some really exceptional entrepreneurs that are rewriting the rules in security technology today.